Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In the early 1990s, when Canadians watched Road to Avonlea, Street Legal, or The Red Green Show, they saw mostly white characters living in Eastern Canada. That all changed on December 3, 1992, when a man moved from Vancouver to the Northwest Territories to escape the pain of his failed marriage and the death of his partner during an undercover drug investigation. Those were the first three minutes of a groundbreaking TV show that gave us eyes into a northern community whose heart and soul were the indigenous residents of a fictional town. For the next five years, it tackled issues such as alcoholism, mental health, depression, and crime. And more importantly, it brought to light and highlighted the trauma survivors of residential schools faced a decade before the Government of Canada officially apologized for them. The show was North of 60, and over 30 years ago it burst onto our screens well ahead of its time to become a fan favorite. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. In the decades before North of 60, Indigenous representation on film and TV was rare, and when it was, it was stereotypical, and let's be honest, racist. Often indigenous people were part of a cowboys and Indians story, with the cowboys being the heroes and the indigenous individual seen as the villain. That is until 1970 when Chief Dan George, a Canadian indigenous actor, appeared in Little Big Man and earned an Academy Award nomination for his portrayal of Old Lodgeskins. The film, contrary to others of the time, gave a sympathetic depiction of the indigenous people, while the American cavalry were the villains. This began a slow change in indigenous depictions, and today the film is seen as a pioneering revisionist western. And you might be familiar with this genre. Years later, the movies Unforgiven and Dances with Wolves would be considered part of it as well. Then two years after Chief Dan George's groundbreaking role, The Beachcombers debuted on CBC. Among the main cast was an indigenous actor, Pat John, who played the part of Jesse Jim. Throughout the entire 18 season run of the show, Jesse Jim worked alongside Nicodonidas, looking for valuable logs that washed up on the British Columbia coast. But Jesse was not a sidekick or an underling, but a partner in their business. Beachcombers was also groundbreaking in its portrayal of indigenous characters because it didn't resort to stereotypes, instead, it created full fledged and complex characters. In an interesting turn of events, Chief Dan George appeared on the show and he was one of many others who were given an opportunity to act. 
1982, Spirit Bay, the first true Indigenous television show, debuted on the CBC and TV Ontario. Over the course of 13 half-hour episodes from 1982 to 1987, Graeme Green, Tom Jackson, and Tantu Cardinal starred in the show set on an Ontario Ojibwe reservation, which followed the residents as they adapted to white society while trying to keep their traditions. All three would later appear on North of 60. Meanwhile, outside of TV, as the 1990s dawned, Indigenous issues began to move to the forefront in Canada. The Oka Crisis of 1990 sparked debates over land claims, and that same year, Indigenous Manitoba MLA Elijah Harper brought down the Meech Lake Accord due to its lack of Indigenous consultation regarding the Canadian Constitution. These were major stories, and they were in the background to the debut of North of 60. In fact, the third episode of the show centered on government efforts to build a highway to the isolated community, despite the protests of the Indigenous residents, and the Oka Crisis was even mentioned in that episode. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go back to the beginning. North of 60 was conceived by Barbara Samuels and Wayne Grisby, two white whiters best known up until then for their work on ENG, a hit Canadian television show about a Toronto newsroom which aired from 1989 to 1994. At the time, Northern Exposure in the United States was incredibly popular. Set in Alaska, it was a hit on CBS and showed that audiences would tune in to a show set in a northern location. And while that may have been part of the genesis of North of 60, the two shows were very different when it came to subject matter. Grisby said they sat down to come up with a show and they wanted to focus on stories they hadn't seen on screen before. For that, they looked to Canada's North. And they set it in a place where people would be isolated, in a town where three-quarters of the population was Indigenous. In an interview in the early 2000s, he said, It put the whites in the minority position and the Dene in the majority position. The Europeans came at it with a sort of European smugness, and the Dene came at it with Dene insecurities. Alliance Entertainment agreed to make it, and then Tom Cox and Doug McLeod came on board to find the perfect location to film the show. The story was set in the fictional town of Lynx River, Northwest Territories, but there was no way the show could be filmed in the Canadian North. According to Cox, there was simply no support system for film production there at the time. And after scouting several locations, reading a few of the scripts, and hiring a location manager, it was clear the location needed to be by a river or a creek. This led them to Bragg Creek, Alberta, located about a half hour south of Calgary. The location would mimic what they envisioned for Lynx River, and Calgary was already equipped for filming, so it was a perfect fit. With the location chosen, it came time to cast the show, with some of the best Indigenous actors the country had to offer. Leading the cast was Tina Keeper, who portrayed RCMP officer Michelle Kennedy. A member of the Norway House Cree Nation, Keeper was the granddaughter of Joe Keeper, an Olympic long-distance runner who competed in the 1912 Olympic Games, finishing fourth in the 10,000 meters. She was inspired to become an actor when she was involved with the Indigenous Theatre Company in Winnipeg. Prior to North of 60, she had several supporting roles in films including the National Film Board docudrama for Angela. Keeper didn't believe she would have a career as an actor, so she pursued a master's degree with the hopes of becoming a history professor. That is, until she got the call that she was cast in North of 60, her first television show. John Oliver, a white man, was cast to play her RCMP partner, Eric Olson, 
who left Vancouver for a quiet posting after his life began to fall apart. Prior to North of 60, Oliver acted in three episodes of 21 Jump Street, four episodes of MacGyver, and had a brief one-episode role in The Beachcombers. In the show, Olsen served as the fish out of water. He was the eyes through which the audience got to know the community and its residents upon arriving in Lynx River in the first episode from the Canadian South. Hey! My niece threw up on me, that's why I'm out of uniform. Who are you? Michelle! Constable Michelle Kennedy. That's my daughter, Hannah. What are you doing? Didn't they tell you it's a dry settlement? No, but this, is, this stuff's for me. Dry means dry for everybody. While Keeper and Oliver were partners on screen, they became romantically involved off screen. As you can imagine, it didn't end well and brought about a significant change to North of 60, which we'll get to in a bit. Tracy Cook, an actress out of St. Catharines, Ontario, was brought in to play nurse Sarah Burkett. She had very small roles in Canadian shows such as Forever Night and Counter-Strike. Tom Jackson came in to take the part of Peter Kennedy, Michelle's brother and band chief. He was born on the One Arrow Reserve in Saskatchewan, and he moved to Winnipeg when he was 14 and one year later dropped out of high school and spent several years living on the street. He eventually found his way to acting, with Spirit Bay serving as his first ever acting role, and he continued to act in small parts until north of 60. At the time, he was also an accomplished singer, having reached number 43 on the Canadian charts in 1989 with his single, No Regrets. Gaining the role of Peter Kennedy for Jackson actually came down to a lunch with Graham Greene in Calgary. I was uh, shooting another film uh, called Medicine River, and I was in Calgary and staying at the International Hotel and was downstairs having breakfast with my friend Graham Greene, who you would know. <laughs> and... Um, there were a number of people across the way that were looking over and um, a couple of gentlemen got up, they were wearing suits and uh, they started walking across the restaurant and I, I said to Graham, I said, do you know those guys? And uh, so I figured that they were coming to talk to Graham maybe and, and we weren't quite sure, but being who we were, we decided we'd better stand up. So he stood up and one of the gentlemen said, my, my name is Wayne Grigsby and, um, and we're thinking of shooting a, a series out here and I think we probably have a part in it for you if you're interested. And I really thought they were talking to Graham. <laughs> um, and I said, yeah, uh, sure. And we shook hands. He said, okay, well, we'll be in touch. Dakota House was brought in to play the troubled Trevor Victor Tenya, known simply as TV on the show. The role was his first acting job, but he quickly adapted to television and earned praise for his portrayal of the troubled teen. Gordon Tatusis brought major name recognition to the show, and he portrayed Albert Golo, a bootlegger and former band chief. Tatusis is a descendant of Chief Powmaker, one of the most important Cree chiefs in the 19th century in Canada. Gordon's father was John Tatusis, an activist for Indigenous rights in Canada and someone I covered on an episode last year. 
Gordon Tatusis had served as the vice president of the Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations, which his father had founded. Prior to North of 60, his first acting role was in Alien Thunder, alongside Donald Sutherland and Chief Dan George, and he then went on to be cast in various roles including in MacGyver, Friday the 13th the series, and Airwolf. Then there was Wilma Pelly, who played the fan favourite, Elsie. She was born in 1937 in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan, and she had spent most of her adult life working in factories to make ends meet. In the late 1980s, she suffered a workplace injury and was unable to work, so, to make extra money, she answered a casting call for extras in Calgary and was cast in minor parts in a few films produced in the city. When she was cast in North of 60, her wise, dignified and funny portrayal of Elsie made her an iconic figure in Canadian Indigenous communities. She's widely considered to be the scene-stealing performer of the show. Wilma Pelly said of Elsie, She was a well-respected elder, I believe a medicine woman, and medicine women in native communities are very well-respected, so I played the role of a very well-respected lady. The more you wiggle, the longer it's going to take. I can see the bastard. You could also smarten up. Lucky he didn't kill you. It's not like the movies, Grandma. It's just a lousy cop. What do you know from Ajira Kadindi? Kimo Dina Show, Laho Adindi. All you know is how to make trouble. Make trouble, get trouble. Someone ought to tell him that. If you look at the cast photo, you will see there was a large indigenous representation. What you can't see is the relative inexperience of many of the actors. Tina Keeper said in 2019, Most of us, except Gordon Tatusis and Tom Jackson, were pretty green. The young indigenous actors, we were all from the theater. I'd done a couple days on film, but like four days. But that was it. I'd never been on television. The relative inexperience in acting allowed the cast to build their characters. Here's Tom Jackson. Uh, because the series gave an opportunity, unlike any other time that I can imagine or remember, um, a window into First Nation communities and life in First Nation communities. And again, because of what you said, um, acknowledge that there were consultants uh, from the North that were part of the research and subsequent the writing. Uh, of, of the show, and it was really very rewarding to be part of that. To ensure North of 60 represented northern communities correctly, Samuels and Grisby traveled to the Northwest Territories prior to filming to work with the South Slavey First Nation. As well, both Samuels and Grisby brought South Slavey Nation members as advisors onto the show. There were South Slavey language speakers, costume designers, and they even flew in drummers when needed. Tina Keeper said, Everything was so closely aligned with the South Slavey people. All their practices informed our practices. And then we also had on set an Indigenous liaison. Tom Jackson relates how the show was influenced by others. I think it influenced the show more than it influenced the characters. Um, in that... People were involved in the show, and in some cases, just because that's who they were in real life. So they were just they were bringing their own characters and their own 
essence to 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 this mixture that created um, a show that was truly honest. And again, not to be redundant, but or rather to be redundant, uh, realizing that the brilliance of Wayne Grigsby, Barb Samuels, Tom Dencox, and others to look into real stories and to research real stories and then bring that to the writing team and have First Nation people on that writing team and have have it uh, continue to be a, from, from an honest place. I think that that's really what uh, resonated with Canadian audiences and still does today. There's a lot of people who still watch this show faithfully. They go looking for it. Andrew Reggett, who began writing on the show in season two, said that North of 60 was a show where you wrote for the audience more than any other show he had worked on before. He said, I always remember who we are writing about and who is watching us. How is it going to play to the people who actually know what this stuff is really like? There is a sense of responsibility that goes with writing for the show. With that, the scene was set for the groundbreaking show that would change Canadian TV history. When North of 60 hit the airwaves on December 3rd, 1992, it caught many off guard. The dramatic storytelling didn't shy away from controversial issues, and it was something rarely seen on Canadian productions at the time. Patricia Hoochley, who wrote a review for Maclean's in December 1992, stated, On the evidence of the first three hours, the series is as somber as a northern winter. The question for the CBC is, will viewers lose patience with such an unremitting gloom? She felt the show was too dark, and those who agreed were not fans. She continued, The constant sparring in the first three hours becomes tiresome. It is a relief when, in the third episode, Bush pilot Al comes to town to propose to Sarah, dropping flower petals from his plane and serenading her. But the producers undercut those touches of whimsy, suggesting midway through the show that Al is seriously disturbed. In the first season, alcoholism was a major theme, with both Samuels and Grisby working to change the image of what many saw as the, quote, drunken Indian, and portray the characters as human beings rather than stereotypes. Producers chose to portray Leon Dila, played by Errol Kinestino, as a tragic character, one who deeply loved his family but struggled with his addiction and wanted to defeat it. With the theme, the villain of the series early on quickly emerged with Albert Golo, the bootlegger who provided alcohol to people in the dry community of Lynx River. But rather than be a one-note villain, Golo was a complex character. He was smart, cunning, and someone who would be at home negotiating deals in Parliament just as easily in the backcountry of the Canadian North. In fact, the character used to canoe with Pierre Trudeau and kept a copy of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms on his wall, signed by the former Prime Minister. He'd also taken part in the Canadian Constitution negotiations in the early 1980s. 
Golo's philosophy was not one of evil, but providing something people wanted and keeping them from resorting to drinking shoe polish, as Leon Dila did in one episode. He was more libertarian than evil. I don't think this is quite what Pierre had in mind. Such a face. <laughs> Stop! On the wall. Wall behind that door. Okay, it won't bite. Who the hell's Pierre? Trudeau. Him and I did a lot of canoeing together. Right. Clean a lot of fish arguing over Section 8. Unwarranted search or seizure. Suspicion of possession of prohibited substances. Alcohol is not a prohibited substance. Read the Band Council resolution, Albert. <laughs> None of us can drink because some of us can't handle it. As production on the first season continued, producers adjusted how they dealt with things on the set and adjusted to be more respectful of the South Slavey culture. For example, elders from the nation served as background performers or extras. On any production, background performers do not eat with the main cast. On North of 60, that was not the case. Tina Keeper said, Elders are sacred to us, so we had to change those things we weren't comfortable with. Our background performers ate with us. They had similar trailers to us. Those are things that change because we're always together for so many years. Lynx River is a fictional town, so there was a conscious effort to avoid establishing shots of the community. The town was often shown from a great distance. One of the few times you actually see the community from the air was when Officer Olsen arrived in the first episode. According to Dean Bennett, the director of photography, the focus was instead on people's faces, their hearts and souls in his words. This required tight lensing. The early seasons also featured very low color saturation to give North of 60 a muted quality and a sense of desolation and loneliness. The look for the first year was actually modeled on the 1970s film Deliverance, before the show evolved with time to become less muted. The color saturation was also not the only change to the North of 60 as it progressed. John Oliver, who played the RCMP officer Eric Olson, left the show after its second season after his on-screen relationship with Tina Keeper ended. In 1994, he was charged with assault for an altercation with Keeper. A few months later, he was dropped from the series, with producers denying that it was related to the assault charge. Keeper later dropped the assault charge. With the departure of Oliver, Keeper became the lead actor on the series. But her character needed a partner, and that's where they cast Robert Boxdale as Corporal Brian Fletcher. Prior to his role on North of 60, Boxdale was known for his voice work on shows such as Teddy Ruxpin and Babar, before moving into live-action shows with appearances on Forever Night, Street Legal, and Counter-Strike. He had also auditioned and been shortlisted for the original part of Eric Olsen before Oliver won the role. Auditioning for the show was also no easy task, and it required him to travel back and forth from Toronto to Calgary to screen test with Keeper. Prior to North of 60, he had little experience with Indigenous people, and he called the process of being on the show a wonderful learning experience. In 1994, Tantu Cardinal joined the cast playing Betty Moses. 
Cardinal brought with her a great deal of acting experience, having appeared in many films including Dances with Wolves, Legends of the Fall, and Smoke Signals. Then in 1996, both Samuels and Grisby left the show to create another TV show called Black Harbor. With the departure of the creators, it fell to producers Tom Cox, Doug McLeod, and Peter Letterman to take over the creative direction of the show. This allowed the show to evolve. Cox said in an interview in the early 2000s, Every year at the beginning of the year, we would sit down and say, what do we want to deal with this year? What is the focus for the year? Before even looking at how the characters would evolve for the year. The series continued to earn praise for its portrayal of TV, who began as a troubled youth and eventually matured, becoming the band chief by the end of the series. Few could have envisioned that arc for the character. In the first episode, he mooned the new RCMP officer and threw a brick through his window. By the last episode, he was a leader of his people and someone who traditionally honored the moose he had killed. House said of his character, I think the character was so lovable because he was a character you could relate to, a character that reminded you of yourself when you were young, a character that went through these steps that everyone could relate. You love to see what he would do from episode to episode, a character you love to hate. Cox stated there was no plan to give TV a redemption arc, as they didn't know if they would even get renewed past the first season. The off-screen troubles of actor Dakota House were also a challenge. House struggled with alcohol addiction during his time on North of 60, and had several brushes with the law including a charge of spousal abuse in 1994 and an impaired driving charge in 1995. In 1997, he was attacked by four men in his apartment, leaving him with a fractured skull and part of his ear torn off. Cox said, Dakota House was an extremely talented guy. He had his own troubles and that made it challenging. At some points, we were ready to give up. It was a problem. But at the same time, he was a real professional on set. He was one of the real pros at a very young age, far, far beyond his years. Throughout Canada, the show was must-see television for Indigenous viewers. But for the actors on the show, it took time before they saw the impact the show was having. House said of that impact, I don't think that we really understood the impact it was having. I look back now, and it's like as an Indigenous youth, I was one of the pioneers that kicked open the doors for all of our young people, because there was never a show that our people could identify with, and not only that, one that could put away the stereotype out there and wipe it away. Despite how much it was loved by Canadian audiences, especially Indigenous viewers and those in the Canadian North, North of 60 was becoming a victim of its own success. Under the policies of Telefilm, a crown corporation that finances and promotes Canadian productions, a production cannot receive agency funding for more than five seasons. North of 60 was so successful, but it was also considered too Canadian, and unlike shows such as Due South and The Beachcombers, it was not attracting many viewers outside the Great White North. Add in the cost of $900,000 per episode to make the show, and there simply wasn't any more funding for it. It was one of the most popular shows on CBC, but without money from international markets, surviving for a sixth season was unlikely. In the end, producers got that sixth season, thanks to technically making season five a two-part season with a gap of about six months in the middle. That season proved to be its last as CBC canceled it. The last episode aired on December 18, 1997. 
From 1994 to 1997, North of 60 was nominated for 48 Gemini Awards, known today as the Canadian Screen Awards, including Best Dramatic Series every year in that span. Of those nominations, it won Best Writing in a Dramatic Series in 1994 and 1998, Best Performance by an Actress in a Guest Role in 1996 for Tattoo Cardinal, Tina Keeper also won the Best Actress Award in 1997 and was nominated five times during the show's run. And although the show went off the air, it didn't mean it was the end of the North of 60 story. Five television movies were released as fans clamored for more stories from Lynx River. There was The Blue Ground in 1999, Trial by Fire in 2000, Dreamstorm in 2001, Another Country in 2003, and then Distant Drumming. In 2001, after a flood of viewer requests came into APTN, the network began a yearly North of 60 marathon, a tradition that continues to this day. Here's Tom Jackson. The, the kind of resonance that it had still brings joy, and it not only brings joy with you sitting in your living room when you're watching, but when, when I get to interact with people who have just had that experience just recently, or even just you know bring it into their minds, to actually uh, interact in real life with people who uh, enjoyed and and uh, were experiencing the joy of watching North of 60. Now, now it's just me and them. It's like me and you, like we, it's like, we're, this is real life, me and you, you know, and, and that's the kind of thing that happens, you know, just on, you know, on a regular basis in my life. So could the show come back? There seems to be many fans who would love to see just that. In an interview with CBC in December, 2018, Co-creator Barbara Samuel stated that they've talked about it with Tina Keeper and producer Tom Cox. Samuel stated that with many Indigenous issues at the forefront in Canada today, the conditions are ripe for a reboot. As for the actors, they have all gone to various levels of success. Tina Keeper continued to act in various films until 2006 when she was elected to the House of Commons as the Liberal MP for Churchill, Manitoba. In Parliament, she served as the official opposition's critic for public health and Canadian heritage. She lost her re-election bid in 2008, but continues to be politically active and was an honorary witness for the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. After 2008, she went back to acting, having parts in Cashing In, Mohawk Girls, Heartland, and several films, including Stellar and Falls Around Her. In 2019, she was awarded the Earl Grey Award from the Canadian Screen Awards. This Lifetime Achievement Award is given out once per year. Past recipients include Gordon Pinsent, Donald Sutherland, Ernie Coombs, the cast of SCTV, Graham Greene, and Paul Gross. She was the second Indigenous actor, after Tantu Cardinal, to receive the award since his creation in 1972. Keeper said, My experience on North of 60 sort of came on the heels of the Beachcombers, which is very Canadiana. And now we have Heartland, which has become sort of another Canadian staple. But when you're on one of those projects that really speaks to all Canadians, and you have all the rest of Canada watching the show, you become part of a really kind of the pop culture of the country. After he left the series, John Oliver only acted for a few more years in shows such as Murder, She Wrote and The X-Files before fading from the public eye. His last role was in The Sentinel in 1997. Gordon Tatusis remained active in Indigenous activism after North of 60, and he also appeared in Pocahontas, The X-Files, Due South, Reindeer Games, and Smallville, to name a few. With Tantu Cardinal, he founded the Saskatchewan Native Theatre Company, and in 2001, he returned to the stage after 15 years for a role in Gordon Winter at the Persephone Theatre in Saskatoon. Sadly, he died soon after on July 5th, 2011 from pneumonia. 
Tantu Cardinal continues to act since North of 60 ended, including in the shows Arctic Air, Mohawk Girls, and Outlander. In 2009, she was awarded the Order of Canada. In 2012, she portrayed Regan in the all-Indigenous production of King Lear at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. In 2021, she was awarded the Governor General's Performing Arts Award. Tom Jackson continues to act to this day, appearing most recently in episodes of Outlander and Supergirl. He also continues to make music, with his most recent album, The Essential, releasing in 2018. Awarded the Order of Canada in 2000, Jackson is most well known for his charity work. He hosted the annual Huron Carol for 17 years, which raised money from the Canadian Association of Food Banks. He can also be found walking the streets of Calgary to this day, helping people who are down on their luck and battling addiction. One of the most successful actors to come out of North of 60 is Adam Beach, who portrayed Nevada for four episodes. He's gone on to appear in major Hollywood films including Flags of Our Fathers and Suicide Squad. He also starred in Arctic Air, for which he received a Canadian Screen Awards nomination. For his role in Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, he received a Golden Globe nomination. Most recently, in 2021, he appeared in the critically acclaimed and Oscar-nominated film The Power of the Dog. Dakota House was able to beat his addiction soon after North of 60 ended, and he launched Going Miles, a self-help and mentorship group for Indigenous youth. In 2002, he published Dancers in the Sky, a children's book based on the Cree story about the origins of the Aurora Borealis. He acts periodically in films, with his most recent role being in 2021 in The Demented. He also ran in the 2019 Alberta election with the Alberta Party, finishing third in the Peace River Riding. As for Wilma Pelly, she appeared in various films and television productions, usually as a grandmother or village elder. She also acted on stage at the Citadel Theatre in Edmonton and the National Arts Centre in Ottawa. And she passed away on December 28, 2020 in Calgary. For Bragg Creek, it's enjoyed continual tourists thanks to the show. People have come from the United States as well as many Indigenous people from Northern Canada who want to see the setting of the show. Some people have come from as far away as Poland and Germany to see the Lynx River filming location. And that's the end of the story for North of 60. But while the show is no longer on the air, its impact is still felt to this day in several different ways. Since North of 60 went off the air, the television landscape has changed in terms of Indigenous representation. Recently, in the third season of Anne with an E, Indigenous characters were not only introduced, but had a storyline that centered on residential schools when a 12-year-old Mi'kmaq girl was taken to a residential school in Nova Scotia before she escaped. She was then recaptured and put back in the school. In 2017's Wonder Woman, Canadian actor Eugene Braverock played Chief Nappy, a demigod of the Blackfoot who accompanies Wonder Woman on her journey across Europe. Worried that the film would rely on stereotypes, Braverock spoke with the director, Patty Jenkins, about his concerns. She responded by giving him complete control over his character to ensure proper Indigenous representation in the film. On Canadian television, several shows have also followed on the path that North of 60 blazed, including Moose TV from 2007 to 2008, Blackstone from 2010 to 2015, Mohawk Girls from 2014 to 2017, Trickster in 2020, and Tribal, which began airing in 2020 as well. I'd like to thank Tom Jackson for speaking with me about the show. If you're a patron, you can watch my entire interview with Tom Jackson right now. So become a patron at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. Now, if you'll excuse me, I bought the entire North of 60 series on Apple TV, and I'm going to sit down 
and binge it. Thank you for joining me this week on Canadian History X. Information from Maclean's, IMDb, CBC, APTN, Wikipedia, Walking Eagle News, Wintertime.com, Queen's Journal, MMA Crossfire, and the Calgary Herald. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production design by Rosalind Kufor. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.